A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 250 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher and Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlin. And with me, like an early Jedi's lightsaber with its power pack, the man with the timeline, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. I'd just like to point out that I do not have anything currently attached to me. <laughs> right? You're like, there's no colostomy bag here. We're all good to go. No. No, no, not 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 that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't currently have one. Right. So how you been, Jim? I mean, it's uh, it's been what uh, almost a month since we've uh, got to sit down and talk Star Wars. Uh, what have you been up to, man? Oh, busy with work. Work has been nonstop. Today is Sunday, and I've worked probably about twenty hours over the last two days. Woo! It's... No but, rest. Um, no rest for the weary. <laughs> but but I've been keeping up. I. I, I try to read and do all of the previous Star Wars stuff that I may have missed over time, but since we kind of a slow down with the pandemic, it's actually a great time to kind of catch up on stuff I haven't done. And so I am reading the old Essential Guides. I'm almost done with having read every single Essential Guide. I'm on the last one uh, that I haven't read, which is the new Essential Guide to um, Alien Species. Mm, nice. As, and so I'm reading that, uh, bouncing back and forth between the um, what's it called, the old Republic Encyclopedia, mm -hmm. and re reading through that finally. Since I'm probably not going to finish that game anytime any uh, soon. Nice. And I've also been playing the original Nintendo Entertainment System games. I just finished The Empire Strikes Back, nice. which is really hard. I, that game, I remember that being a pain in the butt. <laughs> Now, I, I love the Essential Guides. I mean, I, I've got the Essential Reader's Companion. It sits right next to my bed, uh, my nightstand. I have it down here with me right now. Essential Atlas is sitting here. The Jedi versus Sith, Essential Guide to the Force, and the Essential Chronology. Um, you know, those are, those are some go-to Essential Guides for myself as well. Um, and, and interestingly enough, you know, we've been talking about going back ourselves with the show and going back into some legend content. So, I mean, that's one of the things we'll be discussing today, in fact. Uh, but, I mean, I've got so many other books lined up. Like, I'm in the middle right now of finishing uh, Shadowing. I've got the new Thrawn book ready to go, the new Clone Wars, uh, Tales of Light and Dark. Uh, a friend of mine made his own book called Red Mud that I'm looking to get into. I want, I mean, I, there's so many things still coming out. Even in this pandemic, Star Wars carries on. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I, I've been, I, I fell behind a little bit. I was trying to read all the Dune books, or at least listen to them on audio, mm -hmm. and I finally finished, and those books are long. So I finally caught up on all the Dune, so I can go back to listening to some of the Star Wars audiobooks that I had stopped to finish up on these. 
And so my next one is a Force Collector, which uh, I'm looking forward to. Nice. So, so as we said, uh, you know, we're about to get into the nitty gritty here. Um, one of the things that Jim had expressed a desire for when when he came on the show was uh, talking some of the older Legends content, and of course, you know, that's definitely up my alley. So I was down right away. And so this episode. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look at Star Wars Tales of the Jedi, Golden Age of the Sith. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Right, Jim. So let's get into it. Let's uh, let's give them our uh, quick rundown. You know, was it any good? Was it accessible? Uh, how was the art? Uh, could it be adopted into canon? Of course, we'll circle back for that on a second pass after we do our spoiler review uh, at the end. Um, you know, let, let's just jump into it, man. Let's go. What do you got? All right. I think I think the most interesting thing about this comic and like the tales of the Jedi series in general is one of my favorite. And that's kind of why I brought it up for us to do on the show. Um, but it's really fascinating kind of how this developed where nowadays in storytelling and really like for the past 25 years or so of star Wars storytelling, they kind of come up with these ideas, these, these bulk ideas, and that is what's going to happen. But when the Tales of the Jedi series started, it was more of a, we want to try this and we want to try that. And they kind of have like a couple issues here, a couple issues there to kind of see how things were going. And that's really where the Tales of the Jedi came from, is it started out where Tom Veach uh, was, um, was he the author of Dark Empire? Yeah, I believe so. Yes, he was. Cam Kennedy was. Uh, I got I got him mixed up on who did what. Uh, Cam Kennedy was art. Tom Beach was the author. He wanted to do another series setting way back in time, four thousand years before the movies, and that got tabled for him to do Dark Empire. Well, Dark Empire talked about some of the old stuff that happened um, around the same time frame. Dark Empire takes place off the top of my head. I don't remember exactly. It was a uh, 10 years ABY, I believe, after Yavin. Uh, I can verify that while you're continuing. Yeah, and so that the um, the Jedi Academy trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson also takes place right about that same time frame. And he also talks about these old Sith lords. And so they got together and they um, started to build up this Tales of the Jedi time series that went back 4,000 years. And so Tom Beach started to write a couple of issues um, set 4,000 years ago called Ulic Keldrom and the Beast Wars of Onderon that expanded on into the um, tale, the saga of Nomi Sunrider. And eventually you get to the full Tales of the Jedi with the Freedom Nat Uprising, Dark Lords of the Sith, and the Sith War. Notice we haven't mentioned Golden Age of the Sith yet, which is the one we're doing now. After the Sith War, uh, which came out in 1995, they then jumped back again they jump back further about a thousand years to 
the golden age of the Sith. And so this is released as the fourth volume or so, depending on how you group those previous volumes. Um, the fourth volume of the Tales of the Jedi series, uh, where we're starting now 5,000 years before the movies, um, before A New Hope. Yeah, looking there, it's got to be around uh, 6.5 or so, because the Battle of Coruscant's in 6.57 ABY. But I'm surprised that the Essential Chronology does not have uh, Dark Empire in there. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so getting at it right away, was it any good? I would say yes. Um, was it accessible? I think absolutely. Uh, when I was going through this, you know, I've, I've read this so many times that as I was reading it, it's like it's like riding a bike again. You know, it just it all came right back. Uh, and this story has been kind of retold in many ways across many forums, RPG books, uh, other stories would, would lean back on certain key events and stuff like that. So, you know, it felt very familiar. And at the same time, it was addressing things that happened before it in such a way that I felt like there was a story told before this and there wasn't. So, I mean, it worked out. It's very accessible. You just jump right in, but you also feel like the universe is already fleshed out enough that there's more for you to jump backwards in time to go and read. But in reality here, if you're looking at legends media, the only other stories set in an actual physical media would be your, uh, Dawn of the Jedi. Um, you know, everything it starts right at this moment and then you go into the great hyperspace war and during the great hyperspace war, that's when you have things like uh, cross current ends up coming in. You have uh, tales of the, uh, or uh, lost tribe of the Sith kind of launches from that point as well. But really like, this is kind of like the, the beginning of what we commonly know of the legends continuity, you know, and it wasn't until they come back with Dawn of the Jedi much later, which goes back 25,000 years, you know, even farther back in time and really flesh things out. But there's still so much stuff that was discussed and talked about in flashbacks and other stories that really fill it out. So I, I think it's very accessible when you get yeah, to, you know, that point. Yeah, I think it's great. Like, I hadn't read these in a very long time. I Like I said, going through the, the um, Essential Guides, I did go through the uh, Essential Chronology, the new Essential Chronology, and it touches on a lot of the stuff that's in here. But really, just sitting down and reading the story from the Golden Age of the Sith, you get a feeling like it's touching on stories that were written previously, but since they're in the future, that it really has to reintroduce a lot of stuff and it, it does it rather well. I thought, like, you can pick up the Tales of the Jedi Omnibus, which is the one I'm using uh, from that Dark Horse put out. But I believe Marvel probably put out the same thing again um, because they'd like to do that. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, you, you pick it up and we'll get into it. But uh, they the way this mine was broken up is it had the Zero issue separated out and then issues one through five of the Golden Age of the Sith um, as kind of separated. And then the, the next arc, which was the... Uh, the um what's it fall called? of the sith empire yeah fall of the sith empire kind of separated out so you don't really know where the issues start and end but it it it's rather like seamless within that except for the zero issue is probably my only complaint is that it feels completely out of nowhere but when you start with the the first issue of golden age of the sith it really explains everything that you need to know sometimes to obnoxious degrees <laughs> which we'll go into once we do the spoiler, but they repeat things a lot um, that, it, yeah, we get it. We, we know that happened. Thank you for repeating it. And I double checked. 
Dark Empire is 10 years. Six, it's six years after Return of the Jedi. It's 10 years ABY. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, you know, could this be adopted into canon? This is going to be a question that Jim and I are going to be asking a lot more. Uh, expect that, especially when we're, we're looking at Legends materials and stuff going forward. Not so much a, is one better than the other, but just when you stop and you look at, you know, some key timeline differences in Sith history from Legends to canon, right? Legends goes back 25,000 years or more, depending on your source material, whereas canon right now is only going back 230-some years. Uh, High Republic will be the first time we're jumping. 230 years into the past but aside from references to Darth Bane and other Sith Lords there is nothing there in canon yet so could a story like this be adopted into canon and again we'll circle back onto this for a second pass after we really get into the spoilers and all the, the gritty details and things of like you know what may or may not have to be dropped from the story to be adopted into canon. But I think that this one is a perfect time to to launch this question for the show because I think this is an easy yes. I think 100% you could take this story and just say slap a canon sticker on there and says also available in canon. <laughs> you know, um, the way Legends, you know, works with your your movies and stuff is they exist as the bedrock of Legend story arc as well as the core 6 films existing in canon as well. But Legends does not continue anything else outside those first six films. So this one could easily be put into that, moved over there, and it wouldn't affect anything yeah, at all. Especially the way that this series was developed. It was developed, started in 93. And really, if you look at the the Legends can, continuity, even though you did have books and comics before 90s, those didn't get incorporated into continuity the Legends continuity until like the mid 90s. It was kind of they were their own thing until they got brought back in. So this is really one of the first comics that was produced by Dark Horse and within the new in that that current canon, the Legends canon. And so since it was there, it became the bedrock for Legends and therefore wasn't really contradicting anything before it to be contradicted. And it's so far out of time from the movies, like literally anything could happen in four or 5,000 years, especially in Star Wars, that you can write a simple story to fix whatever issues may be in this story, like that connected back to the current canon. Right. So like at this time, you are literally nowhere, anywhere near any of the current st canon stories. And so it easily can be just plopped, dropped right in as is. Yeah, I like that's always been one of the things about going forward and backward in time is that freedom that it gives creators. Right. I mean, you could put Kashyyyk in here as a desert and everybody be like, what? That's not how Kashyyyk. And then by the end of the story, you find out like some spaceship crashed on the planet and launched some biological seed that created these wild trees and everything. Or, you know, you could have like Alderaan wiped out and then they rebuilt the planet. Like when you have enough time in the past, <laughs> they glued it back together and the glue fell apart. That's the only reason the Death Star worked. <laughs> The glue, it, it attacked the glue. Right. They didn't use the right harmonic frequency. Um, but, I, you know, it's that's one of the things that I love about going back in time and stuff. But the other side of this that I, I didn't realize until I was rereading this was how many seeds so much was in here. Like like the planet Zyost. I forgot that this was where that was introduced. I For some reason, I thought it was introduced in, like, uh, Cross Current and Riptide and stuff. I, like, I was like, oh, we got another Sith planet. Okay. And then I'm rereading this, and I'm like, wait a minute. 
Sorry. And then I looked it up on Wikipedia. And I'm like, oh my God, it's been there the whole time. Like I totally either I read that and it slipped my mind or when I was reading that as a kid or, you know, I just, I didn't realize that Zyost was what it was called and I went somewhere else in my mind, but I thought that was kind of cool. And the whole hundred year darkness. I mean, I had to go back and I'm like, where was that story told? And then I realized it's only told in flashbacks in these comics and a couple other locations. Like there's other books that reference it. But there's actually nothing physical. There's no media where we have that story told. Another example of legends being so ripe to continue telling stories in that medium. I just think that's so awesome. They, yeah, they dropped so many references to things randomly. And it's like, it's like, well, we could go back and tell the story eventually, but we don't really need to. And that's 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 a prime example of that happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other side of things, you know, from the, the non-spoiler point of view is we're getting to see the Sith and see the evolution of the Sith. And I think at this time frame, what's interesting about it, too, is, you know, that was still evolving in Legends. You know, we, we were this is when we learned that they were a species and then we also learned that Dark Jedi had came over and, and had interbred with that species and conquered the species and had reformed what it meant to be a Sith. And, and I think, you know, that was one of the cool things about, like, if they were to ever adopt this into canon, it would be a major thing because right away you have more information about Sith and where they evolved from than what we have right now. Because in canon, we have no idea if if the Sith were just a offshoot of Jedi. I mean, for all we know, the Sith could be what the Jedi sprang from. The order could have been the Sith and that the Jedi were like, you know what, we're going to we're just going to focus on one side of the spectrum because you guys are a little too dark for us. I mean, we really don't know in canon. There, there's so many directions they could take it. So, I mean, I, I love the idea that when they jump back there, they, they immediately made things about the Sith interesting because it was no longer just a schism. And the schism was also referenced, you know, but it was it wasn't in this story. It was even farther back. And yet we also get a schism going on amongst the Sith Order as to what to do with the the antagonists of the story. Uh, Gavin, Jory, uh, Dargana, when you know, when they are blazing their hyperspace trails and they land themselves way out in Sith Empire. The question is, what do we do? Do we you know, do we? use this opportunity to expand the empire or do we wipe out these two individuals and keep things quiet and keep our, our empire kind of closed off. And that's the heart of this story for the Sith side of things. Now for the main protagonist, the side of the story is, you know, we're down on our luck. We've got to make our, our name in the universe. We've got to make cash. I mean, we, they literally have nothing. And one of the interesting things I, I thought was cool when I was watching this and rereading this was, I've always seen how decked out the characters were from the art standpoint. You know, they were all bulked up, lots of uh, jewelry, kind of armor and all this stuff. Like, I want to say Jory kind of looks like she You know, she's decked out with lots <laughs> of jewelry and stuff. But then I stopped and I thought about it. They have no possessions. They've sold their home to keep their ship flying. And even the ship has been damaged enough times that really they have nowhere to stay. They're staying on the streets. So everything they own is on them. So it kind of does make sense that they're wearing a lot because they have nowhere else to put anything. But I never thought about that until I was rereading it this time. And I was just like, wow, okay, that's kind of cool. I mean, the art style is gritty, I would say. The ships definitely have a grittiness to them that feel very much like A New Hope. Um, you know, like when you first watch Star Wars and you see the ships, like the Morning Falcon, they got all these wires and stuff on the outside. That's real similar to what you're seeing. These ships have very weird shapes to them. Um, they mm-hmm. feel very almost insect-like. 
I mean, they're not shaped after insects, but they've got really just weird shapes to them and stuff. They got a lot of sails, and I, that I, too. I, yeah, I noticed that. There's a lot of sails on all the ships. Like everything has these giant sails on them mm-hmm. that don't really do anything. <laughs> it's not like the Count Dooku Solar Sailor. They are literally like like a, a central mast on a pirate ship that doesn't catch wind (laughs) (laughs) right right exactly so i mean i i definitely dug the art for what it was there was some moments where uh the one jedi advisor for uh teta um he's drawn at one point he looks kind of very cartoony and i actually preferred that one and then you get to the next issue and he's very ren and stimpy like detail like you can see like the warts and all and and all the little hairs on his face and then they go back to him being kind of like not so drawn i actually liked him with less detail the less detail they gave him he looked more like kit fisto (laughs) it it was the zero issue Mm -hmm. that had the the weird um simple art and then once you like hop into like the first issue, it like completely changes, and you get the the much more detailed. Like the the most I can say about the art, it is it is nineties. Mm-hmm. It is as nineties comic art as you can get. Right. Is, like 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 each era kind of has its own style. Um, like you could pull open a Marvel seventies comic and you'd look at it and go, yeah, that's Marvel seventies. Right. Um, this, this is nineties. It, it is like a very detailed, but still like a cartoon sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, a lot of pencil shading and, uh, um, that sort of thing. I, I loved it. I thought the artwork was great. Uh, usually it's very easy to tell who's who, what's going on. I did have a problem with the, the different Sith once they started putting on helmets of telling who was who. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had that moment as well. Um, but I'd say, like, generally I could figure it out. Um, they did do a fairly good job of portraying the two main Sith, uh, um, Ludo, Ludo Kresh and uh, um, Nagasato. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marco, Marco Ragnos, I thought he was the best drawn, yeah. um, especially when he's in Force Ghost mode. Um, that like that, that's probably one of my favorite images in through, through the whole comic. Right. Right. Uh, is, is when he comes back. Right. And, uh, and not, as not to spoil too much, I was going to say, as Jim mentioned there, that'll be part of us coming back around of the idea of, could this be adopted into Canon? Because, you know, as, as he just dropped, that's kind of a big thing. We're definitely gonna be talking that more here in a minute. Um, Jim, anything else spoiler free before we jump into the nitty gritty? No, I think I'm all set. Excellent. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. So, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages. Because here we go, on another adventure, Beyond the Films. All right, so, breaking into the story itself. Uh, like we said, we are starting at 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. I do love that the comic says approximately 5,000 years before the Battle of Yavin, but we know continuity. Once you give a number to it, that's when it happens. Right. So this is exactly 5,000 years. It's no longer approximate. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read off what the, uh, the opening uh, crawl is for really this uh this entire series it says the complete history of the old republic would fill a thousand libraries but some events some sacrifices have become legend 
passed from generation to generation, the epic of the great hyperspace war, how bold explorations of young Gav and Jory Darragon brought two galactic empires crashing together, how Odin Ur became a powerful Jedi and eventually a master, and how the seven worlds of the Koro system were finally united by the wise and skilled Empress Tita. Five millennia before the birth of Luke Skywalker and the fall of Pal- Palpatine's empire, a thousand years before Exar Kun and Ulic Veldroma joined forces in a sweeping conflagration known as the Sith War, the story begins. See, and I didn't realize when we were reading that that this was the third printed story. Fourth. Fourth, fourth I think. Fourth. See, yeah. see, we were talking about this before the show, and when I was reading this, I was like, okay, why are they mentioning Exar Kun and Ulic Veldroma who come much later but that makes more sense now because it, by the time this gets collected in the form that it's done it's, it's been out for a while for those that were reading yeah. it in order of of uh, publication and that's a, like i like i think they set it up well but you're right it's weird in that the publication timeline is all over the place but like the, the this trade this trade paperback starts with the zero issue which is by itself a very bizarre issue in that I don't think it fits in the storyline very well at all. Oh, really? See, I, I liked, I liked it for what it does setting up what's going on with, with Gavin Jory's struggle. Um, you know, we see why they're, where they're at, why they get the ship and why, you know, the, the hut's only willing to do so much for them and why he's been willing to do so much for them. But I like also where it sets up Ur's character, um, you know, I, I think yes. that that's probably like the only thing about it that I really like. But plus, then when you do jump to the next issue, when you're looking at Jory, Jory now has scars on her face. So you feel like like some time has passed since then. Plus, the interactions yes. between Gav and Jory with the hut and the and the fact that at this point, even though their parents paid for the Starbreaker 12 with blood, he's no longer willing to kind of like, you know, keep extending them credit. He's like, you need to pay up. So it feels yeah, like so, some time, whether it's been one, two, or a few years, have passed. I like it does. that. So, so the, the Zero Issue, trying to give an overall story arc of the Zero Issue. We have historian Odin Ur, um, Jedi historian, I guess. would I don't know if he is a, he is a historian who happens to be a Jedi. Would that be a better one? Um, <laughs> and uh, he's not, he doesn't not necessarily a Jedi historian. Uh, but he's reading up, which this like fascinated me is like literally the first page of the the comic they're talking about the 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 history of the dark jedi and how they found a new people to dominate the sith and i'm reading this and i'm like is this are we then going to flash back to the story of the golden uh the golden age of the sith or is this like before that because how do they know about the sith Right. Is that like knowledge that has been released through time? Kind of like the there there are two um, only only two uh, master and apprentice. Like how did Yoda know that? It's kind of weird. Um, but then like Odiner is called to the Empress Tita system where she is trying to combine her seventh world. She has united six of the seven planets, and he's met by another Jedi there. Um, I don't remember his name. I didn't even realize he was a Jedi at first. Oh, uh, was it Nemet or Meryl or something like that? Yeah, Mehmet. Yeah. Um, and so Odin Ur and Mehmet combine forces with battle meditation to um, defeat the pirates of this seventh system. And within this battle, uh, Gavin Jory's parents are killed. 
mm. and that's really it for the, the 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 zero issue. Also, they completely change what I thought of battle meditation, or I guess it wouldn't have been changed if this was the first instance of it. See, but um, it's completely different than what I thought it was. And, and I like that the way that was introduced was it, it felt very Game of Thrones, where Sam is looking for you know secrets to take down the white walkers you know like he's like studying stuff and he's like there's this old technique and like you know for us this is the old technique like we don't you know uh but when you pointed out everything about odin or doing the research on the sith i did not the timeliner in me did not catch the significant there now i understand your issue with the zero issue a lot more when when you're looking at that beginning spot where it's like he has completed his Jedi training, but he continues to be fascinated by lore and history, especially the history of the Sith, which you're right at this point, he has no idea. And later in the story, he will mention the Sith before anyone knows about the Sith. But you're kind of like, well, in the vision, he was told the name. But this does kind of make it a little more confusing because it does seem like he knows the name of the Sith and yet he shouldn't because this is the Republic's first finding of the Sith. I mean, there's no other moment of that. This isn't like Spider-Man getting the black suit and then finding out that, oh, well, Deadpool wore the suit first. And that's what made it actually broken. By the time it got to Parker, it was crazy from Deadpool. Like, no, no, there wasn't a Sith that showed up at the Republic. This is a continuity error that I never caught. Dang it. <laughs> I don't know if it was an error that wasn't fixed. It's just weird like that that <laughs> under my uh, my interpretation of uh the continuity as far as i'm aware is that like the jedi vanished the d- the dark jedi from the hundred wars vanished yeah and we don't know where they went right which would make sense when he gets the vision and then finding out the word of the sith and then him being the one to explain to the republic senate like look you know the old jedi they're coming back they're now sith and and they're a lot more powerful we got to be ready for them and then you know then you could have a moment like what happened in the new jedi order when leia's like you know there's this alien race coming in everyone's like ah it's not a threat <laughs> yeah they went in an interesting direction on the same but that narrative definitely kind of makes me scratch my head on on another reread once it's been pointed out. It's definitely something that I think that if you're not paying attention to numbers and where stories fall, I think you could get past that no problem. But if you're really paying attention to that, that's definitely something that's going to jump out to you a little bit more. I mean, as as this yeah. recording stands out, I literally, this is becoming an issue for me as we speak. I had no problem with this <laughs> 20 minutes ago. I'm sorry. Damn it, um, This is so... Um, are, are you're a doctor, not a, uh, <laughs> not a historian. Um, wrong, wrong franchise. I was just gonna say you're a so, doctor <laughs> and a historian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like the battle meditation, like I was saying, it was very weird. Like in here that it says the concept of battle med- meditation is simple. Uh, Mehmet Nadil. Every fighter brings his own fears, his own hopes with him into combat with sufficient concentration of Jedi, such as, you or I can strengthen the hopes of our allies and heighten the fears of our enemies. Thus, what the armies know in their hearts must become true because they believe it so strongly. And so that's why I I always interpreted battle meditation as the ability to basically control where all of your troops are going as like one mastermind. You're able to see all the all the movements of the troops, and so you're able to basically direct everything as if you're on a giant game board, Mm -hmm. um, like placing the pieces. And this is like a completely different interpretation of what I had thought was battle meditation, or at least what 
probably it gets morphed into later well, later in the canon because that was supposed to be Palpatine's big thing of why he keeps winning so much. Right. Um, is that he was able to control all of the ships and where everything went, or at least like push people into putting things in different places. Right. And even Jason and the solo, you know, solo kids worked on this through the new Jedi order. And Jason did it in a similar vein where, you know, he was pushing troops in certain directions, but he was also doing similar to this where he was giving courage where needed you know, and doing what he could to bolster the troops. He wasn't doing necessarily the darker side of things by putting the fear onto the other people, which which is something like Coran Horn did when he was on his planet where he, I made them fear justice. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good use of fear. Um, but I like the idea that it is different and yet similar at the same time, because think about like mind wiping, right? Uh, we see, you know, we see uh, different people use the mind wipe trick. But when you get to uh, Jaina Solo doing it in the New Jedi Order, she saw it as a time dial spinning a certain way. Kip Duran looked at it a certain way. You know, it's kind of like one of those things like how you come at the Force is how the Force allows you to use the trick. So for the Jedi of this time frame, using it the way they used it works, but there was so much more to this trick. But it works out also in the aspect of how they're talking about it because it's it's an older skill and we're learning about it from the best of Ur's knowledge. I mean, and even for him, it's it's an older technique that, you know, maybe he's not 100% brushed up on. Or, you know, like if you watch like the Umbrella Academy, you watch as the kids' powers expand kind of thing. Like, you know, Ur's at level one, whereas Palpatine's at level 10. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, like, don't, don't take my confusion as... Um disliking it i thought it was like it was just a completely different take of what i i thought right and coming back to this uh and so do you have any more uh comments on the the like the zero issue like i said it's super short no um, it's a zero issue so it's not like it, it doesn't go in depth but like the story that kicks off in the main series it feel it doesn't continue this story like if you didn't read the zero issue i don't think you missed anything True, true. I mean, the only thing it really gives us insight into is Ur himself and just why Jory and Gavron on, on the straights as they are. But you don't need, especially for those two, you really don't need to know anything more about them. I think for Ur especially, it really serves his character more because otherwise he's just like a guy that shows up and you really don't know <laughs> anything about him. Yeah, you, you're, yeah, that's 100% correct. He's not even a guy that shows up. He's just there. Right, and, and, and she's like, already got a Jedi here. advisor. So you're like, why do you need a second one? <laughs> <laughs> why don't you need a second one? She's an empress. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so so for that issue, like I... The way the parents get caught in the crossfire works for me. Um, you know, they lose the ship. That works. Uh, the fact that they were humanitarians, in a sense, I like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you necessarily needed it. Uh, the break in the pages definitely gave you the feel that there was a time gap. And I think that that's probably the only reason why they put the time gap there and put the page there. Uh, the break the, the break page in the, in, yeah, in the omnibus. Yeah. Like, like, like we said, it's... Uh, before after this break that they put in the omnibus there is not another break until um the uh the next the arc yeah. empire yeah yeah both you and i had problems we can't even find where the issues change most of the time <laughs> right uh within within this omnibus like uh, i i think i found one definitive where you could tell like it's the beginning of a, a another 
um, issue. Mm-hmm. But most of the times, like I always equate the large letter at the beginning of the text as being the beginning of the issue. But this does it on almost every page. Right. Uh, that large letter at the top of the page. And I'm like, OK, so that's clearly not the beginning of the issue. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you where some of the issues started or ended. Right. Like, I think I've got two of them here. One of them. No, no, no. The second. So right before, uh, Nagasado gets his Sith, uh, his Sith burn on his forehead. I think that's a beginning of an issue because the page before it, he's like, each of us controls a dozen worlds. Call all the ships, your warriors to immediate battle. We must strike the Republic first. I mean, that seems like a good spot for it to end. And then the next one's like, now we're on Zyost in the high castle where the Sith Lords meet. Like that. Aside from those kind of things, like you really have to infer yourself yeah. where the pages start and end. Which is actually probably good that they did it. Like this felt more like a continuous story mm-hmm. as opposed to a series of issues. Right. Um, because they got rid of the, I assume, I have all the original comics, but they're packed away and I don't want to pull them out. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they took away the to be continued stuff on the end. And right. You, you wouldn't even be able to guess where it was located. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that, you know, that I don't get, because they talk about it in the beginning, you know, they're trying, Gab and Jory are trying to blaze new hyperspace routes, right? But I don't get yeah. how stars can be so clustered that it affects ships' ability to fly. I mean, I used to get that. You know, the core, all the stars were denses and stuff. But then we see things like hyperspace skipping later. And, and you know, that kind of goes in the face of everything we've ever been told about hyperspace. Granted, that's something that comes distinctly from canon and doesn't come from legend. So I could toss it off to the side. But when you, you know, you watch Han jump into basically Starkiller base on Ilum there and you're just like, OK, so if you're able to jump in that close, how does that change hyperspace travel because the way i've always understood it in legends was if you got too close to a planet you would get pulled out of hyperspace or if it was directly in your path you would just crash into it and blow up but if they're so dense you can't travel like that's what i don't understand it's like you would be able to travel so far right i mean the, the, the stars can't be so close that you can't get between them i mean that's where i don't understand how there is a hyperspace barrier for Gav and Jory flying through the core. Like I just, I can't understand stars being that clustered together that it becomes that big of an issue. So I think, so to give a little context, uh, the, the first issue starts off with Gav and Jory are down on their luck. They need to make, they, they are basically paid hyperspace explorers. The hyperspace lanes don't really exist what is known, there aren't that many, so it takes a long time to get between certain worlds. Some worlds haven't even been discovered by the outside, the, the main, um, is it the Republic at this point? Yes. Yeah, I believe, yeah. yeah. Um, aren't even known to the Republic. And so these explorers will get paid by people who use their routes. Uh, and so the, they are literally putting their lives on the lines to try and find new routes. And... Um, the first route that they try is their ship is almost almost torn apart because they um, what Mark was saying is they travel through this dense place of stars. And I think I don't know if it's everywhere is too dense or if you look at the picture when they're trying to fly, they're trying to fly purposely through this dense portion of stars. And I think they're trying to get to a specific planet. And that's the problem is that they the 
because they can get back not going through this dense cluster of stars, but they want to find a shorter route to this planet. Right. And I think that's where, like, it doesn't, the stars don't need to be dense close together, but if you have a three-dimensional space of stars and you put a straight line through that three-dimensional space, that straight line can come close to stars at one point and stars at another point, but they don't need to be, those two stars don't need to be close to each other. Mm-hmm. You also get the sense that, there's a barrier around the core itself, like the inner core that at this time frame, they really haven't got past because it's like, you know, if you're pointing all your space travel into the deeper core, that makes sense. But if you're pointing out towards the outer core, there's less stars and that, and you'd be able to travel that direction. No problem. Unless the mid rim has a navigational issue that hasn't quite been navigated around yet. And so if you're pointing outward, you have to get through that because in a sense, when they finally make the blind leap, they go from the inner core where they're over by, you know, Koros, Thion and Coruscant in a sense, and they jump way out by Malachor, way out, uh, you know, where Corbin's at, which is past Yavin 4 even, way out in the, you know, way out there. I mean, they're out in the outer rim. And so, you know, like maybe they got through one of those navigational points of that mid rim belt because that's the only way my brain can can explain once they point their ships into an outer rim direction, what would be stopping them? You know, I would, I would think like, you know, if there's so many people trying to find routes, well then all you have to do is basically point your back outwards and just start navigating. The only thing that would make that a pain is if you had one more field or an asteroid belt or whatever it was causing an issue that when you jump that way, you hit it, it drops you out of hyperspace. And then you basically like with the maw where you got to navigate through it. But Gavin Jory just happened to hit the pinhole through that cloud and went through that barrier way out into the outer rim. Like that makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, I I can see that. I can, I I don't know if that was specifically stated ever. Right. um, But I can see that as being an issue where there are little pinholes within whatever is issues. And that's what they're trying to find are these pinholes. Right. And the other side of that that I didn't realize until I was rereading this was uh, Jory and and even Gav, they're part of a navigator's guild. Right. Which until now, I even think about the fact that there were hyperspace navigators that had a guild just like bounty hunters do. I mean, at that point, I had to stop. I'm like, did did that ever stop? Do they continue to this day kind of thing, still have a Navigator's Guild that Navigators are a part of? And why would you need a Navigator's Guild? Like, the whole concept of a Navigator's Guild in this time frame is very intriguing, and it's a part of it that I kind of wish they would have explained just a little bit more. Yeah, they just kind of say it is. It is what it is, and that, that they don't really go into it much. So, so going back, the so the... Gavin Jory, their ship is nearly destroyed. It's it severely damaged. They fly back to the um, Koros. Is it on? Because it's yeah. a Koros system. Yeah, I don't know Koros if Koros system. is the planet. Uh, they fly back to their main planet to get the ship fixed. They have no money to fix it. Uh, and Synagar. so Hut is Synagar. That's right. Um, because that's a mineral. I know <laughs> that's how I remember that one. Nice. Um, Sorry, a geologist. Uh, (laughs) So they're at Arbor the Hutt's uh, service dock at this point. Yeah, they're at his. He is fixing it, but he's not giving them any more credit. And meanwhile, another person, another merchant, is using one of their hyperspace lanes. I don't know if it was the one they just plotted or one before. I couldn't tell. I think it's um, one but, before because later when Gav's talking to the Hut about it, he's like, "Well, we've got one that was certified." 
Yeah, yeah, and so that that one, his ship ends up destroyed, and so he puts out a bounty on the Gavin Jory, and um, basically to get away from the bounty, they steal their ship back, and they plot a course through hyperspace blindly. So, And it also, by this point, we know that they are Force-sensitive, but they've never been trained as Jedi. Right. You know, the other thing about the, the uh, Merchant Lord that they introduce, you know, he kind of has a Bosque feel to him, but he's the different species. They mention him later, but he's got a companion with him. That's talking to him. They're like, they never show the guy's face to the point that I started to question, like, is this guy like have some deeper meaning? Like, They always just like cut off his face right at the neck. It's like, Oh, we don't even need to show his face. And I immediately, I started to get suspicious. Like, why are they not showing this guy's face? Like, is is this like the nominor of this series? We're going to come back later and find out he was there the whole time and manipulating events. <laughs> That's a, I, I found it interesting. You're right. It, it is very, it is very Trandoshan like the, uh, the merchant. And like, at one point he's like saying that basically he's going to eat Gavin Jory for, um, costing him all these credits. Right. And he's eating these things that pop out of the eggs. And one jumps down on a, on the ground through like a mouse hole. And he's like literally scrabbling on, the ground trying to get this thing out of the mouse hole and i'm like was was this needed like this is like <laughs> what is the point of this <laughs> right and then when he decides to actually have them killed like all of a sudden the bounty hunters show up and it's like because at, at that point when they showed him eating the things i'm like did he eat the the guy that approved the route because like you know he was so mad he's not just going after the people that found the route he's even going after the guy at the guild that approved the route and so we've already yes, found out he's yes. dead, and it makes it sound like he ate the guy. And I'm like, okay, so now he's going to go after them. Like, at first I was like thinking, like, this guy's a he's a bad SOB. Like, maybe he's more than just a, a, a lord. Like, maybe he's also an assassin. No, he's going to send some other assassins. One that looks like a Skeksis, too. I was just like, that guy looks like Lord Chamberlain. Yes, yes. <laughs> but the, the, the weird thing is, is that they were, Gavin Jory were pinned, saying, you better watch out, you're in trouble um, and then we find out that the, the, the merchant put a hit out on them. And then those same exact two are now attacking Gavin Jory. Like, did they find them again? Right. Like, it's like, you're in trouble. You better watch out. Oh, wait, hold on. I got a phone call over here. <laughs> yes. Enact order 63. Um, all right. Yep. Sorry. Uh, you're no longer in trouble. You're, you're, we'll fix this. Well, and when they go after him, they each have like a camera. Like, there's, like, a camera on their corners. It's, like, the, the art goes out of its way to show that there's, like, a light coming off of each one of their shoulders. I'm like, what, are they recording this? <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> Which kind of makes sense. Like, the, 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 the Lord definitely seems like the type that's, like, I want to watch them suffer. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, give me the other holo feed. No, oh, my word. He, I can't see anything. I'm just seeing the back of his head. <laughs> so... Gavin Jory escaped the murderous hollow news reporters and plot a course to the unknown. And it literally says into the unknown. And I may have broke out in song. <laughs> this is where the Jedi step into the story. If you hadn't been following issue one, this is where they, they show up. And one of the things I like the most about this is, we don't see the lightsabers being ignited as the first thing, you know, like normally this would be where you hear the, and you'd be like, Oh wow. No, we get a snick click as they attach tubes to little battery packs on their oh. hips. You're and then right. we get the classic. Catch... 
I didn't even catch that's what they were doing, that they were plugging in their lightsabers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and this is definitely one of the topics we were talking about in the spoiler-free part that we were going to come back around to because I find the lightsabers of this era and, and the swords that the Sith use very interesting. Um, you know, I think it's a really cool touch on the evolution of the technology, um, but I also like the rawness of it all. You know, like when you see the art and the way that the blades are, they definitely give you more of a Kylo Ren kind of jagged feel to it. Like it's definitely a raw technology at this point. And even the Sith Lords have like a, a an alchemy crystal type of burning sword that's really cool looking on paper. Yeah, like the, the, the Jedi definitely have lightsabers, as we would call them, but they're they're weird. You're right there. They have a kind of a a blade to them where it's more of like a flat uh like a sword blade i don't know if it's because of the art or the just that's what they're supposed to represent and you're right the 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 sith do have like actual like uh i'd say like what's a sith sith enhanced metal blades right Right, and and they, the way they're drawn, they almost look like they could be even crystal and not metal. Like it, it could go either direction, and then it's like they charge them up in some form or fashion. Which I want to say, if you go back into the Darth Bane novels, they kind of explain everything that's going on with that when they talk about the vibro swords and what they would do there and how they would enhance them with their Sith powers. So I, I love that even later books would kind of come back and kind of touch on that once again. The other cool part about this moment is is you do see a difference in style from Jedi to Jedi because Nemet, he just kind of deflects them and, and sends the bad guys off by disarming their weapons, whereas Ur a predator by nature actually kills the skexy looking guy and like gets berated in a sense by Nemet. You did not have to kill Ordanur. You must look and, for a gentler way to solve the problem. All right. And so when you think of a predator, like as a, a person who studies biology, I think of sharp teeth as my, cause he's like, my ancestors were predators. You do not look like a predator. <laughs> you like, you think, uh, you basically take the general grievous mask where the teeth are kind of sticking down and you kind of shorten that. So the teeth are now sticking out the front of the, his skull. Right. That's what he looks like. these blunt teeth that are sticking out the front of his skull. Um, and his head is basically his skull. And you look at it and you go, not a predator. He kind nope. of looks like Evol, though. <laughs> Evol Morales, or whatever his name was from uh, uh, Rebels in the Clone Wars. Like He has that kind of like a species look when you see him from a distance. But then he also it looks like, like if he was that species, like he's got a very, very, very bad overbite. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to see if I can find out what species he was. I, I love, though, that like as soon as Nemet says it, he goes, I am shamed. Nemet Nadil, my people are predators, but I am a Jedi. I should know better. And, you know, knowing where he comes from in the aspect of studying those that fall to the dark side, there's a part of me that's like, could that be, you know, like part of that? Like, you know, he's studied on people that like lean towards the darker side of things. So him just kind of lashing out and using the force in a darker way kind of just kind of makes sense. Cause you know, like Lucas always said, once you start down that path forever, will it dominate your life? I mean, he starts by reading up on facts on dark siders and eventually now he's physically accidentally killing somebody in the moment. Yeah, he, he is a Drathos, which I don't believe I've ever even heard of before. Definitely a new one. 
All right. And so, like, we jump now in the story to um, Korriban, where they are burying Marcos Ragnos, who uh, was the previous Dark Lord of the Sith. And Ludo Kresh comes in and says, I am clearly the leader, and let's burn the body. When uh, and and then the other the other I guess faction uh, would show up was Nagasato shows up a little later and he goes no I'm the leader and we get a big like internal fight over who exactly is going to lead this and that's basically what jump starts their um, part of this story mm-hmm. and I found it interesting that they really like they're playing on the progressive versus conservative where <laughs> Nagasato is the, like, they literally called him a progressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, not our definition of progressive, but, like, their definition of progressive, like, wanting to get out and fight more and, like, do more with their Sith uh, alchemy and things. Right. Where uh, uh, Ludo Kresh is happy with the way things are, and he wants to kind of hold the society um, in check. Mm -hmm. Keep it it as a a jewel and, and shiny. You know, the other thing that this sets up that, you know, only on rereading this do I realize so much of my misconceptions about the Sith Empire at this time comes from the KOTOR games. You know, I, I, I looked at Korriban as being the home world of the Sith, the place where the Sith were doing all their, their training, their base of operation, all that stuff. Because that's kind of how the game puts it. But they go back to that location and set up at that location for a reason. And, and I always forgot about that because at this point... They're only using Korriban as a burial world. You know, I mean, their main operation yeah. is off of Zyost and, and the other planets in that system. And I, I don't know how I read this so many times. I just always missed that when I was going through it. And then we get to the point where in the middle of all this, you know, I, I like the fact that while they're doing their ceremony, you know, they talk about Marco Ragnus. Uh, in death, his grandeur surpasses even what he had achieved over a century of iron rule. And I thought that was interesting because, like, at this moment, like, all he's done is died. So it's like, what could he possibly do that's more important than a century of rule? Well, they put that helmet on him and they're like, you know, Marcos Ragnus, great Dark Lord, wear this victory helmet during your battles in the afterlife. Which is the helmet that we recognize everything we've ever seen him in picture form as. So he wasn't even wearing it when we're introduced to him, right? But yet we see yeah. him in that. And I, and I remember him from the uh, the Jedi Academy games where you go up against him and stuff. And then later we see him come as a vision. And I think that this is probably one of the biggest reveals and could possibly be one of the biggest problems later if you were to talk about moving this into canon is the fact that we see a Sith Force ghost. Now, could yes. that one act, the fact that this Sith Lord was able to preserve himself, you know, keep in mind that, you know, their their version of what they're doing with the dark side stuff is not necessarily as corrupt as what, say, Palpatine's doing much later. Right. You know, you've got centuries of refinement of the dark side, um, you know, so even though he's a dark side user, he may have been noble enough or, or looking out for his people enough that he found a way to immortality and became a force ghost versus, say, uh, Simus, another Sith Lord who Ragnus even defeated that used dark side powers and, I dare say, technology, because later when we see him die. Simus is my favorite. <laughs> right, right. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it. But the whole fact that we have a, a dark Lord force ghost 
is definitely one of the things that sets this story and legends apart from the canon of Lucas's story back before Disney bought it, right? This was definitely a major difference in Lucas's story of what Sith can do and what legends said Sith could do. Yeah, and this it, it, it kind of bounces off of stuff before this, too, because we had in the Jedi Academy trilogy, uh, the, the book series, not not the the game um we had um um exxon exxon coon xr yeah i'm like xr exxon mobile no that's not right um xr coon comes back and that's where he's later in the series which he would actually have been written prior to what we've seen Mm -hmm. and marcos ragnos is also later in this series comes back as that force goes so where this is um, chronolo- chronologically speaking, this is our first time seeing him, but he does, he comes back as this force goes a few times mm-hmm. and like, you're right. His helmet on after death and him coming back as a force ghost, that is the, like, probably my favorite image in this whole series. And it's just so well done that I think that, that like, if I only had to like have one image, it's him as that force ghost kind of proclaiming like giving you he, he gives us our history um lesson at that point when he right. comes back. And he's so powerful that he progressively pushes out that vision onto every Sith, either there or on the planet. Like they all see that history. He gives that vision to all of them, which I thought was like, you know, I mean, if, if that one line says anything, what we're watching is what makes him the most famous Sith Lord ever. You know, like no Dark Lord after him was able to do it. And it's almost like the selfishness took on a whole new level after Ragnus died. Yeah. Yeah. And so after he gives us our history lesson of how the Sith became what they are now, where the Jedi Jedi fled, the dark Jedi fled from the Republic came to um, probably not Korriban, but somewhere within the Sith empire. Cause we're told like each of their little Lords controls at least 12 planets. So this, there's a lot of planets within the Sith. Uh, Empire. Oh, 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 I had that page marked. Where was it? I was just there. Dang it. Why did I close this? I closed it the wrong time, Jim. The Great Sith War. No, the hyperspace. So there's there's a picture of the Sith Empire at this time, right? And in Sith space, you have uh, there's Corbos, Korriban, Thule, uh, Nichka, Bostirda, Dromad Kos, which we've heard about in other stories, uh, uh, Relig, Cardelba, Jaguada, Ashari, Kalasinor, Begarin, Zyost, Koriz, Aethys, Chichotus, uh, Savaltan. Bless you. Yeah, right. Bargata, uh, Nivolga, and Ilbatha. I mean, there are quite sure. there are quite a bit of planets here. Yeah, and probably more than that, based on the text in the uh, the story. But right. Um, so we have, we have these internal power struggles, uh, trying to take over at that point is when Gavin Jory arrive from the outside and they use this to their advantage, uh, where, or, or I guess Nagasato uses it to his advantage. Mm-hmm. Ludocrest just wants to destroy them. Nagasato wants to use them as his, uh, plot to power. And so they imprison them and dec- de- de- decree that they need to, to be killed. 
Mm-hmm. While all this is going on, like as they show up in the system, one of my favorite lines in almost all of Legends, next to Sagan and Rysode's death monologue, None Shall Pass, is probably my absolute favorite. But we have, like, as the battle's going down, you know, Crash uh, goes, There could be only one Dark Lord of the Sith. And Naga Shado grabs what looks to be Ragnos' sword from the grave and pulls it out of it. And he says, I, Naga Shado, call upon the power of the Sith. The power of my Jedi blood. The power of the dark side. And I think, like, what's really cool about this is this is the only time frame where you're going to get a Sith Lord calling on the power of the Sith and the power of his Jedi blood. Like, I think that is so damn cool. He brought up the Jedi quite a bit, actually. And it was, mm-hmm. it was You're right. It is not something that we would ever see again. You wouldn't see Palpatine going, I call upon my Jedi ancestors. Right. Like, yeah, 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 that doesn't sound and right. They also talk about that some of the families stayed pure blood, which, like, they lean towards Naga Shado as one of them, but Naga Shado clearly has the physical features of a Sith. So even his family bred with them. So, like, that narrative line I felt was untrue because it, it says yeah. that some of them were completely pure blood. It's like, n- no, none of them are yeah, pure they, blood at this point. Yeah. The, well, Everyone but yet. Has this, this pink red skin that clearly shows them as Sith. Which, which I guess, like, if you stop and you think about uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith, though, there were pure bloods. So clearly, there I'd were say- pure bloods in this story, but they weren't drawn as pure bloods. They were drawn as Sith species, or they're not in the story. Like, there are pure bloods; they're just not presented here. Right, right. That was, I mean, that was something that I stopped and thought about because I was like, I felt like Nag Shadow, Nag Shadow was definitely supposed to be one of the ones with a more pure line, but I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be the one that they were implying was a pure bloodline. But then when I stop and I think about, you know, the Lost Tribe of the Sith, there were definitely some pure blood still around, some humans that were living with the groups. Um, cause they, they talk about that in more detail too. Like even once their group goes on, how some of the Maasai died from the planet and only the humans were left alive. And so I, I think that there's some interesting aspects of that and the way the Sith evolved from the 5,000 year, uh, BBY moving forward. Yeah. All right. So they captured, they captured, uh, Gavin Jory and Gavin Jory had been, um, sentenced to death by, I guess the Sith council. Uh, where they don't have any Dark Lord of the Sith at this point. And um, in order for uh, Naga Sadao, Sadao, however you want to pronounce it, um, to gain power, he uh, basically frees Gavin Jory, but making it look like the Republic did it. And he takes them prisoner, um, although makes them think that he's not taking them prisoner. Oh, the way that that went down was so brilliant, because as I'm rereading it, I'm like... Wait a minute. Why would he leave his sign on one of the guards? Like, because, like, from his point of view, it's all the Republic's doing it. Yet, the way Ludo Kresh is coming across it, it's obviously Sado setting everything up, and he's going to take everyone out. And you're like, why is he? Why is he being so open about? Like, why wouldn't he want even Ludo to be in on the deception? Well, it's all because he's setting Ludo up to wipe Ludo and all of his forces out completely, one hundred percent, all of them. He's got the two bases: the one on the dark side of the moon, and then the one on the light side of the moon. He uses the light side of the one to draw Ludo Crush's forces to smash him to smith. So once I, I realized that, I was like, that was that was Palpatine level, next level outthinking your opponent. Yeah. So actually, that. That, that planting actually occurs when they steal the ship back. 
like they for when they see when he rescued Gavi and uh, Gavi Gav and Jory, um, they made it completely republic based, and that's when um, he's like, clearly the republic's coming. We need somebody strong to strike back, and that's when he gets declared Dark Lord of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, later, he as he separates them, he steals their ship back. That's when he plants evidence that it was him that did it. And that's when uh, the Ludo Kresh takes it upon himself to attack. And so, uh, like, during that part, uh, what I found interesting is you uh, you brought up before that he had his insignia, which is the one where you have the, the, the circle in the middle and the kind of the flames shooting out the side, mm-hmm. uh, which became comes the symbol for the, the Tales of the Jedi time period. Um had it burned into his skull, but we don't see it for a long time. Right. And I thought that was the weirdest thing. Why, like, why are we not seeing this image? Like, yeah, it's a cool image, but I wouldn't think it would be that important to, because we see, like, the, the smoke burning off of it. We see the whole process of him getting it burned on, but then we don't see it for maybe, like, 40 pages in this uh, comic book. Right. The other thing, too, when they do that staged escape, that's where Simus dies. And he dies because Naga shoots the contraption that he's living in. Because, like, up to this point, they talk about how Simus was alive through the dark side. But this death clearly proves that it was dark side and technology. I mean, the second that the technology gets destroyed, he basically dies. Well, Simus is literally a head in a crystal box. Yeah. And you don't realize it at first. You just see like the crystal box, but you don't see below it until someone's carrying him around. (laughs) Right. And he was one of my favorites. In fact, he was the one that I would use as the idea of, you know, like them living past death. But he wasn't a Sith spirit. He was just he was a lot more like ruin, I guess you would say, where he was just refusing to give up. But I think that. By the fact that we see that box get shot, and the second the box is destroyed, he dies, it can't just be only the dark side. Something about that technology in conjunction with the dark side is what allowed him to stay alive. Because it's almost like as soon as either the, the, the technology that kept the box running stops... Or whatever was inside the box, like whatever kind of like air was in there escapes, he dies. Yeah, it's probably also the bullet to his head. Well, um, that could be help. too. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this the moment when this happens? I'm trying to see. Is this where he plants the emblem on the body, or did that come later? So the emblem. So when he steals the ship, is pretty much when he is getting everything ready to um, to, to master his plan. So he. He steals Gavi and Jory's ship is under lockdown and he steals it back, trying to make it look like a Republic raid to steal the ship. But he planted evidence for only Ludo Crush to find, really. Uh, or that's what it seems like to me. Oh. It, like he leaves his insignia behind. Oh, it is later. OK, it is after. OK, that's why yeah. I was confused, because I kept thinking that when he freed the ship, that that was when he dropped the thing and he drops the thing when he's freeing uh, Jory. He has one of his minions drop it there, which is actually after he's already got the symbol 
burn onto his head. That makes more sense. Because yes. I was I was getting confused. I was like, why would he drop it before he had the symbol burn into his head? That makes no sense. Okay, cool. No, Continuity yeah. stands. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, so he ha- yeah, he got the symbol. He's now Lord of the Sith. And now he's basically playing with his enemy, trying to get him to come attack him. Um, and so the Ludo um, gets all upset that clearly they're being played for fools, which we already knew. And he summons up his dark side forces, uh, his ships, and they attack Naga Sadao. And at this point, uh, Jory is at the ship. Jory and Gaff have been separated. Jory now has the ship given to her. And Naga Sadao is like, you need to get away. You need to run back to your home. You can't, you won't be able to free your brother. You need to, you need to get away as quickly as possible. I thought the art on that was fantastic. He like, mm-hmm. like clearly he's like, like playing being scared for her. Um, right. <laughs> and he's like, you need to get away. And so she flies away through his forces and he's like, okay, that's good. Now he calls in all of his forces to wipe out Ludo crash. Right. And as far as we see, he was successful. I mean, I, I, can't remember in the next arc off the top of my head if Ludo Crush survived that or not, but he's definitely, I, I love the setting of the stage here. And I think that that's probably why this comic feels like it sits so highly in the stories of the Sith. When I think back, this is one of the stories that jumps to my mind, you know, this one, and then you follow it through into the next arc. And that's one of my pinnacle Sith stories, you know, and, and the way that this sets up the attack in on the Republic and the launching of the great hyperspace war is perfect. I mean, I, I, I had that one moment where I had to figure out why he dropped, you know, the one thing, cause that, that really threw me off because I wasn't thinking about the fact that he had did two different things. I thought it was all one mission, not realizing yeah. that it was one mission in three phases in a sense. Um, yeah. But once I got that, uh, that taken care of, it's, it puts Naga Sado on such a level of, of awesomeness, man. He's just a, he's a twisted individual who uh, he's after glory. He's like the Klingons of star Wars right now. He is the most Mandalorian Sith you ever see. He just wants conquest. He is ready to expand the empire. And, you know, Naga Sado said, we're living in the golden age. Whatever happens next depends on your next move. Whereas crest saw that as we need to close our borders and continue to have a golden age. He's looking at it as like, it's time to expand set up shop. Let's make this new Vegas. Yeah. And so, like, looking at the end of the this the, this arc, um, Ludo is still alive, uh, as far as I can tell. He he states right at the end, "We must leave here before we are all destroyed." Retreat, and we don't we never see his ships actually destroyed. So I'm assuming, from what I remember, he's still he's still hanging around. So he should be back in the next arc. Which and that's where the whole leaving your you know your your crest behind that's why i stop and i think about that i'm like because oh it, it makes sense to draw your enemy in his bait to wipe him out but if you're not successful that was the biggest blunder you could have done you've given him evidence to prove that it was you wiping him out you take care of all witnesses that makes sense so i mean i, I go back and forth because like that's a brilliant move storytelling wise and yet it's also one of those like it, it all depends on how the reader interprets it like it could be brilliant or it could just be a complete cluster bomb yeah and so meanwhile while all this is going on odiner has a nightmare <laughs> literally i've had a nightmare the sith are coming like um you probably want to like phrase it better than that <laughs> <laughs> 
And so the Empress Tita uh, goes to Coruscant and presents in front of the, the council. And it's pretty cool. Like when they go to Coruscant, you can see the Jedi temple being built mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the artwork. And she presents, uh, presents their case and they all go, yeah, we're good. Right. It's like, yeah, nobody don't, believes him. Yeah, don't bother me. Um, but clearly that's going to come back to bite them in the butt in the next arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I place this one high. If I was to give this a one to 10 type of ranking, I would say it's probably an eight, eight and a half, um, in storytelling arts, good jumping into a new era the way it does. I mean, well, it's not really jumping into the area, but kicking off of the other era. If you're reading this for your first time, it's launching an era. Um, I, I like Jim have it in the omnibus. I think it's probably the better way to read these stories. So if you're grabbing it for the first time and this is your first introduction, it's great. It's very accessible. Um, going from there to, should it be brought into Canon? I, I think that this is one that could easily be moved over. I think, the only thing you would have to change or would want to address is whether or not you want to keep the Marco Ragnus force ghost angle to it. Because that's definitely, from my experience with Star Wars, the idea that Sith Lords have force ghosts is definitely an idea that canon has tried to say doesn't happen. Even though we've seen examples of dark side afterlifes. Even in canon. So, I mean, there's a, there's a part of me that's like, they should allow it, but under certain rules. Because, like, we do know, like, Sith Lords, like Maumon, uh, can get attached to physical objects. But in a sense, they're trapped. They're not, the, and they, they're like, oh, it's not quite the same. I think it is. I think you just limit it because of the dark side aspect. So, if you were to bring this in, that would have to be something they would have to address of, are we going to allow dark side force ghosts to exist? And if so, are we going to give them some rules, like, you know, that they... Because Ragnus doesn't seem to ever leave the planet Korriban. Um, you could say he's attached to the world, if not to, you know... No, like... he definitely he definitely leaves Korriban um, in later later arcs. Does he? Yeah. Okay, well, even better than that. I mean, so, I mean, it definitely, like, if you're going to bring it over, that's the, I think that's the big aspect that you have to address. I think that's the only issue in fitting it in that would make sense. Cause kind of like if you were to, uh, you know, take the clone wars out of legends continuity, how would you address later when you get to, uh, was it legacy of the force fate of the Jedi, where you've got the mother, the father, the son, and all those references to it. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, you can pull this stuff out, but there are references to it. So to me, I think that the force ghost aspect is the only issue in the room that you would have to address. If you're going to move this over to Canon, otherwise everything about the story is perfect. It, it, it just comes down to, do you want to make a Sith species still? There's a lot about what they plan to do with the Sith moving forward in canon that they either need to have a plan or be okay with adopting. If they're okay with adopting this story, then we have the same backstory for the Sith being a species that was corrupted by Dark Jedi, and we have a lot more background to the Sith in canon than we have right now, just by adopting this one story. Yeah, I would say my own ranking of this issue, or this this arc, oh, is actually it's kind of confusing because if before we reread this it's been a very long time since i've read this and i always had kind of a negative feeling on the golden age and the fall of the sith emperor these two these two first arcs just because i felt it didn't live up to what we had been presented later in the series Uh and so like coming back to these i'm like oh they're they're not as good as the other issues within this the tales of the jedi series but coming back and reading this first after a very long time 
and just taking it as itself, I really enjoyed it. I thought the story was very, um, very well told. They didn't rush through anything. They told what they needed to tell. Uh, you have a great start to the, the this entire series. I say, get rid if you get rid of the zero issue, I would have no problems getting rid of the zero issue, and we still have no. Um, they're still you're not missing anything and i think just the the art itself is fantastic i love how it's drawn um except again the zero issue which looks a little more cartoony as as you called it uh, Mm -hmm. a little less detail but um yeah i would like just reading it off the bat i'd probably give it like a 7.8 three yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah I got yelled at when I, I, because I do uh, reviews for AIPTcomics.com, and Mm -hmm. um, I got told I can't give reviews anymore down to three decimal places. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's that's how my mind works. I'm sorry. It's just a 7.83. Right. Uh, right. (laughs) And and I agree with you 100%. Like, you can literally take this story and drop it right into canon right now. It is its own. It's set so far off of the timeline. And I think even like George Lucas initially said that there are no dark side force ghosts. But since like Lucas has left and Disney has taken over, we have seen more and more of these issues. We have, Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly how he came in, but we have Darth Bane in the Clone Wars. And I feel like it was some sort of force related presence, but I I literally Yoda dismisses it. Yoda says that it's just a vision of the force being projected to him, Um, which, you know, like that gets closer to like what we see with Jason Solo and Anakin Solo in the New Jedi Order when Anakin Solo's force ghost comes to Jason and Jason being more realistic at the time is like, well, you're not really a force ghost. You're this creature that's trying to eat me, putting out a force projection because that's what they do. And Anakin's like, well, how do you know I'm not using that creature's abilities to speak to you through the force? Yeah. And so you have that, you have the moment skull, which you mentioned, and you have Palpatine. Like, uh, I believe we, I, I'm not 100% certain, but I believe it's been said that he his body was a clone of his previous body. Mm-hmm. But then your spirit has to inhabit that clone. So clearly we have some transfer, transference of from one body to the other for Palpatine. Right, and right. If if Palpatine can do it, he had to have learned it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or I assume he learned it from somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. Why not show that evolution? Like we could take the story. We could change it if we want to to more better fit and kind of show where Palpatine's uh, talents had come from. But I think mm-hmm. in general, we could definitely take it as it is. And I know they've they've said in canon right now that the Sith are not a species, but I don't think it's been written in stone that that is the case. Right. And the beauty about Legends is like the Sith were a species, but they were also more than a species. I mean, you know, eventually the Sith species completely died out and all the Sith that we know were not a species. So, I mean, yeah. they, they were had a very convoluted history and legends in that regard. And we'll definitely see the die out of the Sith species, I think, maybe even in the next arc, the fall of the Sith Empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much. Oh, man, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we took this trip back, Jim. Mm-hmm. I am too. It was fun. It's like it was a very quick read. I probably read the whole arc in like an hour, hour and a half or so. 
Um, and so I definitely recommend anybody just to, to, to plop down, find a copy of it somewhere. Uh, if it's probably even on the Marvel Marvel Unlimited app, I believe they have all the old uh, Dark Horse comics there. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely just like start going through it. It's it's fun. It doesn't and it doesn't connect to canon, so you don't really like feel like a need to like make it fit in your head. It's it, right. it is what it is. Right. Yeah. And that is one of the nicer things about stories set so far out. It's like, you know, you can you can attach it to it if you want. You don't necessarily have to. It can be its own little story set in its own little world. And it, it definitely works in that regard. Um, I'm and looking forward don't... to our, our touch back onto the next one because it just – this story is a definite two-parter. Like this one feels like it's the prequel trilogy all in one and then we're about to go into the original trilogy and really find out what really happened. Yeah, and like like another thing is like they didn't feel a need to tie everything together. Like a lot of – the like prequel stories you get you like have to find out where did this come from where did that come from star wars is not immune to this mm-hmm. um like like every time they do a prequel story you need to find out where did like this little where did han solo get his gun from like we mm-hmm. found out in the movie like we don't need to find out everything in this story doesn't it doesn't right. tell us anything <laughs> about the original trilogy like it doesn't it, it doesn't touch any wit except for the word sith like really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, definite fun one. Um, I don't know about you, man, but I think we're uh, good to close. I, I I am good. I had fun. I liked. Uh, like I said, I liked this one. I liked it a lot better going through from the beginning. So hopefully, like you start it here and it just keeps getting better. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I'm anticipating the same thing, my man. <laughs> Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on Zoom, Stitcher, as well as Spotify and on iTunes. And we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And speaking of past episodes, you can find them all at www.starwarsreport.com slash beyondthefilms. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsor, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Jim. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't put us the odds. 
that Mark's eventually visited by the Force Ghost of Mark of Ragnos and told how Canon will eventually include him. Ooh, that sounds like a real good uh, dream. <laughs> it's a nightmare. I'll be like, Canon is going to continue Legends? How is this? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, now I kind of wish we would have read the second one. I want to keep going. <laughs> Sorry, like like I said, literally I finished the book five minutes before we started recording. My time has been compressed. 